Hey, before we start, I want to let you know that you can now purchase the goods. For a couple dollars, you'll get the ebook files of this story, a special PDF version to print at home with room to become the illustrator of each story, plus the full audio download without any interruptions, like this one. The link is in the description, and now to the story. Holokai got dressed in the semi-darkness. Only a small lamp gave a dim light to his room. He wore shorts and a faded t-shirt that was once a bright red. His final step was the necklace. It was made with a simple bit of string threaded through a small hole at the center of a golden coin. The coin. The magical coin he was born with that all the children on the islands were born with. The coin that granted each of them one wish. Before he left, Holokai sat back on the edge of his bed and picked up the picture of his parents from his nightstand. He looked at their smiles and into their bright eyes. I'll make you proud, he said in a whisper, and then he left. Holokai didn't bother leaving a note for his aunt and uncle. They knew where he'd be. He walked through the cobblestone streets in the faint light just before sunrise, his bag of supplies and tools slung over his shoulder. The bright colors of the homes and shops around him were muted, their shine not yet illuminated. Soon, he was walking down the main street that led into the town square. He could see his destination ahead. In the middle of the open square, surrounded by the small shops and restaurants and the tall clock tower that reached high above the town hall below it, was the well. The well appeared from nowhere 23 years ago, the day golden coins appeared beside newborn babies. It was made of seemingly ordinary cobblestone, but it glowed ever so slightly with a pale blue shine. A circle of mosaic tile encircled the well. As Holokai's feet reached the tile, he paused to take a deep breath before approaching the well. He reached it as the sun's light started to fill the square. He lifted the necklace over his head and held the coin in his open hand. Today's the day, he thought. He moved his hand out over the dark abyss below. His eyes closed in concentration, holding his wish in his mind as he turned his hand slowly to drop the coin. No, he thought, his eyes springing open and his hand closing tight on the coin. Today was certainly not the day. As with each other visit, the wish he tried in his mind just didn't feel right. He only had one wish, and he couldn't waste it. His heart was racing as he stepped back from the well. Sunlight filled the square, and the owners of shops and restaurants began to open their doors. Everything was in full color now, each building a mix of different colors and painted patterns with green plants and bright flowers everywhere. Holokai took a seat at the edge of the square. Loa, came a voice, loud and full of energy. Holokai turned to see his friend jogging over. Aloha, Ano, he said as his friend jumped to sit next to him. No luck today? Nope, said Holokai. Ano nodded. Next time. I still say you're overthink. Ano stopped abruptly at seeing Holokai's expression. He raised his hands in surrender and the two of them sat silently for a minute. Then the first wishers of the day entered the square. 
they didn't exactly wear a sign that said, we're here to make a wish, but everyone who came to the well looked the same, excited and nervous. Not what you'd expect for someone heading to the bakery. Ano and Holokai leaned forward on the bench as all the others around, from shoppers to shop owners, paused to watch too. A father, short and skinny, walked with his arm around his daughter. She was probably 16, as most parents didn't let their kids go to the well before then. 16, Holokai thought, and here I am at 19, soon to be 20. He felt like an old man when it came to wishes, as there was not a single person over the age of 17 that he knew of who hadn't already dropped their coin in the well. The father stopped at the edge of the tile that encircled the well, and the girl continued forward. More people were filling the square now, and they all stopped with their business to watch. The girl leaned forward on the stone and dropped her coin into the well without hesitation. Nothing happened for a few seconds, but then... As with every coin ever dropped, the magic started. The cobblestone of the well glowed brightly, the blue light making it hard to see the girl. Then a column of swirling green and blue smoke poured up and out from the well. The girl stepped back, but she didn't look afraid. The smoke collected above the well and took the shape of a woman with long, flowing hair. Her features varied as the smoke swirled. Below her waist, she remained formless smoke, making her look almost like a mermaid. She was Ekiwaka, protector of wishes. Holokai watched with the crowd as the girl made her wish. I want to be tall, the girl said. I want to be tall so I could be a great basketball player. Ekiwaka flowed down towards the girl but said nothing. Yes the girl said, answering some question unheard by anyone else. Through the shifting form that was Ekiwaka, Holokai saw her smile, and then her form exploded out. The green and blue smoke wrapped around the girl and turned golden. Holokai couldn't see her anymore. A few seconds later, a flash of light made everyone turn their heads or shut their eyes. When Holokai and the rest turned back, they all exclaimed with wonder. Ekiwaka was gone. The well's blue glow returned to a barely noticeable tint, and the girl who made her wish stood tall. Tall with pride and at least a foot taller than she was before. The crowd cheered as the girl ran to hug her father, whose head now didn't reach his daughter's shoulders. After much handshaking and nodding and thank yous, the girl walked off with her father, her arm wrapped around his shoulders this time. Holokai imagined the day when he made his wish. He'd stand before Ekiwaka, confident with his desire. She'd smile at him, and his life would be transformed in a blink of an eye. His aunt and uncle would embrace him with joy, and he'd know that his parents' sacrifice was worth it. They would be looking down on him, proud. Holokai smiled at the vision, then left the square to get to his jobs for the day. Welcome to More Than a Story, where each episode is an original short story and a little more. At the end of each episode, I'll talk briefly about an idea you can take away from it. 
something to inspire you or make you think. Ideas to help us take a look at our own stories so we can make them truly wonderful. My name is Derek Hennig, and it's my mission here and in everything I do to fill your day with something good. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this month's episode, One Wish. Let's get to it. Tia sat on her porch, waiting for him. The house was small and simple, like Tia. The yellow paint had faded and chipped from many years of inattention, or lack of funds to give it any attention. The houses on this street were close together with small front lawns and equally small backyards. Tia's front was a garden oasis, and Holokai loved the smells as he walked up the short path to the porch. Herbs, fresh tomatoes, and strawberries were just a few of the aromas that made his mouth water. Aloha, he said, climbing the stairs of the porch, half of which were covered by a ramp. Tia turned in her wheelchair to face him. She looked at the sun and the sky and then looked back at him. See anything good this morning? Holokai smirked and shrugged. He was a little late. A girl grew over a foot in a few seconds, he said. It was wild. Wants to be a basketball player. Must have been a sight, Tia said softly and slowly. Sorry I'm late. What's wrong with the wheelchair now? Ah, yes. Right wheel keeps getting stuck and all I could do is spin in circles at times. She laughed, no part of her speech sounding aggravated in the least. Holokai slung his bag from his shoulder and kneeled down. Let me take a look. He worked for a bit, inspecting things. It looks like the handbrake. The spring is gone, and whatever piece held it there is gone too. I can fix it. I knew you could, Tia said. He had to leave to find some supplies to do the job. A stop at home, where he collected all sorts of junk from other jobs, got him a few springs to test out. He also found an assortment of other bits of metal and some nuts and bolts to test out. When he got back to Tia's, she hadn't moved from the porch. He got back to work. After working for a while, he asked, Do you ever feel annoyed that you never got to place a wish in the well? His eyes glanced away from hers, at her non-functioning legs, and hesitantly back to her eyes. You know more than most, she said, that some were certainly bitter. Only children born, what, 23 years ago get these coins? Anyone older is left to watch them cast wishes into the well? It can leave a person questioning her god, for sure. Does Eki Waka seek to punish us for something? Well, I admit I had a few days like that. I'm sorry if I'm... Nonsense, she said. Curiosity can't be a crime to apologize for, or we're doomed to remain children. I said I had a few days like that, but they didn't last. Holokai had stopped working and was crouched beside Tia, listening intently. You might think, as I did, that I would long to wish to get my legs back. Who's saying Ekiwaka could grant such a wish anyway? We know she has limits. But the more I thought about it, Holokai, I made the most important discovery of my life. Tia paused then, staring off in reverie. What was it? Holokai burst out. 
The discovery, what was it? Oh, Tia said as if she didn't just leave him hanging. I discovered that if I were to cast a wish, it wouldn't be for my legs. Holokai looked at her, stunned. It's true, she continued. I know not everyone like me would feel the same, but if I wish to run or walk on occasion, it's rare. I don't think of myself as missing something. My legs have never worked, but I always longed for a quiet space of my own with a garden to fulfill all my needs and time to paint. Her voice sounded like she was describing a great meal, reminiscing on the intricate flavors that make your mouth water. Holokai glanced around at the quiet space, the garden overflowing with vegetables and fruits, and, through the window, the easel and canvas set up as it always was. Well, I didn't have all this at the time, boy, she said. She looked at him with a smile, guessing his thoughts. I just knew I could have it. Ekiwaka granted my wish in a different way. By giving me nothing, she helped me discover what I truly wanted. The rest of the time with Tia, Holokai worked in silence, thinking. He finished fixing the wheelchair, and she wheeled in a circle happily. Before leaving, she paid him with the customary basket of vegetables. Afterward, he continued doing odd jobs for others in the town. He fixed a gate, a garage door, and someone's lawnmower. When he got back home, he gave the basket of vegetables to his aunt, Iolana. Then, he helped her cook dinner. His uncle wouldn't be home until the next day. He was a fisherman, and sometimes they spent a few days out at sea. Holokai slept restlessly. His dreams were of crawling, willing his legs to work, but they wouldn't. Tia walked by him to the well, cast a coin in, and made a wish to Ekiwaka. Holokai continued to crawl towards the well. You're almost there, Tia said. Then the well moved, and he began again. Holokai woke up in the darkness, his alarm just a few minutes from sounding. He didn't have a new wish in mind, but he decided he'd go to the well anyway. As before, he arrived at the well in the faint light of pre-dawn. The stone's soft glow matched the brightness of the sunlight. He removed the coin from around his neck and held it in his hand over the well. He didn't turn his hand this time, as he had no wish in mind. Suddenly, a loud squawk sounded next to him, along with a rush of wind. Three things happened at that moment. First, Holokai screamed as he turned to defend himself from the attacking bird. Second, he discovered that there was no bird or anything or anyone else in the entire square. Third, his hands, still held in front of him as if to defend himself, were now empty. No he said in a whisper, his heart racing. He stared at the well, his coin somewhere in its depths, and the stone began to glow brightly, drowning out all other sights around him. Ekiwaka was there before him, a face made of swirling blue and green smoke. Close up, her face looked younger than he expected. She smiled at him. Holokai took one step back, turned, and ran. He ran across the square, passing a few people he didn't bother to acknowledge or recognize. 
He turned up a street, the morning sun casting shadows across half the cobblestones. What are we doing? said a voice in his ear. Holokai turned to see the smoky face of Ekiwaka beside him, a trail of blue and green plumes dragging behind her, keeping pace with his running. He didn't know what to do, but felt he just needed to get away, so he ran harder. Ekiwaka's smoke collected beside him into a ball, then into a column, and then the smoke was gone. In its place was a girl, roughly his age, with long brown hair, tan skin, and an outfit fit for a jungle adventure. Boots, tan pants, and a white button-up shirt tucked into her pants. So, Ekiwaka said, this is running. I've always wanted to try it. Fun, huh? What? Holokai said through panting breath. Running! I've never done it! Heads turned as the two of them ran down the street. Holokai made a sharp turn down a different road. Shortly, she caught up with him. Wow, you're fast, she said, every word full of energy. Are we playing a game? I'm so in if that's the case. Or wait, is this part of your wish? Holokai stopped abruptly in the middle of the street. Ekiwaka zipped by him, only to reappear next to him in a second. The road they were on was small, houses on either side, all close together, similar to Tia's neighborhood. In fact, he could be near her house, but he hadn't paid attention to where he was running. He just ran. It didn't really matter at the moment, though. He was staring into the eyes of a girl, into the eyes of a god. They were wide eyes of bluish-green, open to take in every little detail of the world and of him. She smiled, and now he noticed that her brown hair had a faint bluish-green glow, and it flowed behind her like she was still running. Still looking into her eyes, Holokai said, I'm not ready to make a wish. I, I don't have a wish. Then why did you drop your coin in the well? It was an accident, so maybe, maybe if I can get my coin back, I can make my wish when I'm ready? He spoke the last part quickly. People were now in the street, around Holokai and Ekiwaka, watching. He had no idea how long they'd been there. No can do, Ekiwaka said. One coin, one wish, that's the way it works. The coin is gone. It's just potential now, potential towards helping me grant your wish. Okay, okay, he thought. There has to be a way out of this. Since I'm not ready, he said, can you just... Go on to the next person who has a wish and then come back to me when I'm ready? Again, he spoke super fast and with uncertainty. How do you talk to a god anyway? Should he be on his knees or something right now? One coin, one wish, one at a time, Holokai. I can't grant another wish until we use the power from your coin. The crowd began to whisper, the whispers quickly turning to obvious conversations of worry. What if he never wishes? What will she do until then? Ekiwaka turned to the crowd, hearing their questions. If he never wishes, then I guess that's the end. She shrugged as if this statement wasn't anything different than describing the weather. The crowd looked nervous. I just need a little more time, Holokai said to the crowd. Just a little more time, he repeated in a whisper. Then... Skipping his jobs for the day, he ran, cutting through the crowd, heading back to his house. This can't be happening, he thought. It can't be happening. I'm not ready. That day quickly turned to three days. 
As he tried to resume his usual activities, he began getting worried or annoyed glances from the people of the village. Some were kinder than others and offered suggestions for possible wishes. He just smiled and thanked them for the idea he would never use. Several people who had come from nearby villages or from one of the other islands were more than surprised to see their coins fall into the well, only to instantly reappear back in their hands. No one in town was hesitant to explain all about Holokai and his refusal to make a wish. Then there was Ekiwaka. She walked around the village, talking to anyone and everyone, happy and carefree. She spent half of her time simply running through the streets, laughing, trying to get others to join in on the fun of running. Kids joined in, but that was it. When she wasn't running or unknowingly participating in the town gossip, she was with Holokai, offering her own suggestions. What about being taller, she said, like that girl the other day? She was floating like on an invisible hammock, swaying slightly. At the same time, Holokai worked on a plumbing issue at Tia's neighbor's house. I guess you're already pretty tall. I could make you shorter, I think. That's a little harder, but I think I could do it. She paused, concentrating on him. Yeah, I can do it. So, how about it? Shorter? He slammed his tools down. No, he said. I don't want to be shorter. He took a breath and picked up his tools again. But before getting back to work, he turned back to her. Why is that harder anyway, making me shorter? Why can't you just do anything? You live in a universe with laws, and I am a part of them. I could just bend them quicker than you. I can't make space where there isn't any, but I can add an island in the ocean, replacing that part of the ocean. I can alter the code of your body to want to be taller or shorter, but shorter goes against the natural flow of things. It's more natural to grow than to shrink, yet to shrink is still doable. If someone wanted to be a mouse, though, I can't do that, because a human could never naturally become a mouse. Holokai finished up the job he was working on, thinking to himself while Ekiwaka continued to offer more ideas. When they left, there was a group of people by the front gate of the house. Holokai hesitantly walked forward, his heart racing with fear. Were they there for him? He reached the gate, and they moved aside to let him out. They were all taller than him and built like his uncle. Wide arms and thick legs. Before Holokai could turn up the street, one of them grabbed his shoulder and pulled him back. How's it going, kid? He said. Figured it out yet? Holokai's legs felt weak. He shrugged. Not yet? His voice shook. We think. The man gestured to his friends by his side. That you've been thinking long enough. We've got kids who are ready. They know what they wish, and you're in the way of them starting the life they want. People are traveling here and having to turn back. You're wasting people's time and money, Holokai. You're stopping them from living their life because you can't think of what you want for yours? He poked Holokai in the chest with a finger that felt like a metal pole. Holokai backed up, using the impact of the finger as fuel. The man didn't stop him. What happens? The man spoke to Ekiwaka. If someone dies before they cast their wish. Oh, Ekiwaka said, showing no concern for the threat. A wish can't live without the person. It dies with them. Holokai's stomach dropped. Four more days, Holokai, the man said, Holokai still backing up. 
That's a full week of thinking. We suggest you make your wish before then. The three men turned and walked away. Holokai turned to Ekiwaka, who smiled brightly at him. Then, even though he was no longer in immediate danger, he ran. Yes, Ekiwaka said, and she ran after him. His uncle paced around the living room while Holokai and his aunt sat on the light blue couch. The sounds of his heavy footsteps and his angry breathing were all the sounds to be heard for a whole minute. Shelves on the wall, holding books and small ornamental figurines, shook with each of his uncle's steps. His aunt eyed the shelves with concern. Finally, his uncle spoke. Those, he said, the rest of the sentence not forming. He continued to pace, searching for the words. Those foolish cowards. How dare they think, Kahali, his aunt said. Please sit down. Yolana, how can they? Words had trouble escaping his lips. His anger usually did that, making an argument between his aunt and uncle a funny thing to watch. His aunt, cool and calm, would dance through the points of her argument, his uncle would just get angrier at his own inability to find the words to refute her points, eventually giving up and giving in. Just take a seat and we can all talk together, Iolana said. Kahali dropped himself into a large armchair, his arms crossing over his knees. The wood joints of the chair creaked from the stress of holding him up. I would say, Iolana said, that we need to decide what to do, but that's pretty obvious. Holokai glanced at her confused, and she put an arm around him. We'll be protecting you, here, until this all gets sorted, or those fools come to their senses. His uncle stood back up and said, with a strong, confident tone, That's right, no one would dare harm you here. I won't allow it, and they wouldn't dream of trying it, those cowards, when I get my hands on that. He ground his fist in his other palm. But, Holokai spoke, I don't know buts. Iolana cut in. There's not a question in our mind of what we want to do. We will protect you from those idiots. That means no going out on jobs. You need to stay here. I'll be talking to the police chief. She turned to his uncle. Kali, you flex your muscles about this place. She smiled and he smirked back. Let them know you're home and not at sea. He nodded back. And me? Holokai said. Figure out your wish, my son. The moon was a slim slice in the night sky. The lights in his house and all those around had been dark for a few hours. And Holokai's time was up. The four days given to him by those men would be over come the morning. Despite his uncle parading himself outside over the last few days, randomly chopping wood or polishing a rifle on the porch, the number of angry-looking people walking by the house only seemed to grow. All he had to do was make a wish, but every day he'd stare at his parents' picture on his nightstand, knowing he couldn't just make any wish. It had to be perfect. It had to be the wish for him. 
Ekiwaka spent most of her time with him, offering more wild suggestions. She'd occasionally leave to go for a run and explore. Now, she hovered in the corner of his room, swaying in her invisible hammock, watching quietly. He opened his bedroom window slowly as to not make a sound. He stuck his head out the window and peeked outside, looking for any potential threats awaiting him. The night was quiet and still. Holokai moved to his bed and pulled a backpack from underneath. He'd been slowly collecting provisions over the last couple of days so his aunt and uncle wouldn't see. He tied a rope to the pack and lowered it out the window to the grass below. Next, he pulled himself out of the window, hung on the ledge, and dropped the final five feet to the grass, landing as softly as he could. Ekiwaka appeared next to him, her hair glowing faintly with that blue-green light. He grabbed his pack and crept up the street, heading towards the mountains. Where are we going? Ekiwaka said, whispering. Away. Got it. And why are we going away? Because I can't put my aunt and uncle in danger. His voice grew louder and he paused to calm himself. They won't get hurt because of this wish. Ekiwaka nodded her head, her hair flowing behind her like in water, even though they were walking and only a faint breeze flowed down the street. They walked on in silence for a few minutes, Holokai making his way towards the jungle. He figured he could make his way up the mountain and spend a few days alone, thinking, not having to worry about those men coming after his aunt and uncle. She broke the silence as they made their way to the outer edges of the town. Why don't you just make a wish? There are so many things to desire in life. It's not that simple. No? Let me ask you, how come only some people got these coins in the beginning? How come no one older than three years old found themselves with a coin when the well appeared? Isn't that obvious? She said, turning to walk backwards so she faced him. His silence gave her the impetus to continue. To create anything, you need three things. You need the desire or will to have it. You then need the belief that it's possible. Then you need to actually do it. I come in and remove the third part. I take long years of action and speed things up. But you still need the first two elements. People above a certain age just didn't believe in magic and miracles anymore. They would never fully believe they could make a wish. Holokai pondered that for a bit, then said, I guess if people knew that, it might not have made a difference either way. A difference about what? People got jealous at that time, and some saw an opportunity. Small groups started going around stealing wishes from those kids. They didn't realize until after that they couldn't make a wish with another's coin. But before they did... Holokai's throat grew thick. They came for mine. He locked eyes with Ekiwaka. Her face was concerned, listening intently. He continued with effort. My parents stood in their way. The group grew violent and my parents were killed. Neighbors and police came, but my parents were already dead when they got there. But they saved my wish. They approached the edge of town, where a thick jungle lay ahead. Don't you see? I can't just wish for a car or something. My parents died for this wish, so I would have it. It needs to be... Holokai froze as they approached the jungle's edge, seeing a man stepping out from behind a large tree trunk. The same man from before with the thick arms. Holokai turned around, but two others were now in the street behind him, 
another two to the left coming around the sides of a house, the same on the right. They were surrounded. Hey, I just want to take a quick 30-second break to tell you how you could best support myself and this podcast to keep these episodes coming. First, share it with everyone you know. Subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. Then check out my website for more goodness and to purchase all the downloads for this episode for one low price. Finally, follow me on Instagram, link in the description, to get more behind-the-scenes details on how I create these episodes, to submit ideas or requests for future episodes, and to just say hi. All right, thanks for your support, everyone, and back to the story. Their faces were mostly hidden in shadow. Faint moonlight lit parts of their faces, making them appear even more menacing than before. They all moved slowly, in unison, closer to Holokai and Ekiwaka. Holokai dropped his backpack and removed a long walking stick from the side. Don't be foolish, kid, said the man in front of him. You don't want to make this hard. Holokai couldn't speak. All you need to do is make a wish and nothing happens. I won't, he thought. I won't. Not like this. Not for them. He began looking for a direction to run or something to defend himself with, some way to resist or thwart them. Then, Ekiwaka stepped forward in front of Holokai. She stood with her hands on her hips. Really? she said. In front of your god, your protector of wishes, you would dare harm another? Do you think that wise? Some of the men began to walk a bit slower. Step aside, girl, the man in front said. You grant wishes, but you're no god. You don't scare me. With his last word, Ekiwaka began to glow brighter. It started with her hair, no longer brown, but shining blue-green. Then her whole body began to glow. More of the men stopped walking forward. Ekiwaka then grew taller and broader. She was seven feet, ten feet, twelve feet tall. In an instant and with a trail of smoke, she sprouted four more arms. With another puff of smoke, each massive hand suddenly held a sword as long as Holokai was tall. Pretty interesting, she spoke, her voice deeper, booming with power. What a girl can do with a few wishes. Ekiwaka turned in a circle to face each of the men in turn, her torso moving while her legs stayed firmly planted in place. One by one, they fled into the night until she was back facing the man in charge. He looked determined to stand there. He did not look like he could do anything else, though. Ekiwaka suddenly glowed with such brilliance the man screamed and brought his arms up to shield his eyes. He stumbled backward, falling over. Shakily, he found his feet again, and without looking back at Ekiwaka or Holokai, he ran off. A few calmer breaths later, Ekiwaka began to dim her glow. Slowly, she shrunk back to her previous size, the extra arms disappearing in a puff of smoke, her hair returning to brown with that faint hint of shining bluish-green. Holokai looked at her in awe and wonder. 
He didn't know if he should bow or say something special, but no words that came to his mind felt adequate. Then he was kicking himself internally. He'd been walking around for a week with a literal god as his friend, but he'd been so consumed by the wish that he barely paid any attention to her. What a fool I am, he thought. She may have acted silly in his eyes, but there was clearly far more to Ekiwaka than he initially judged. I know, she said, staring at his expression. Those guys were unbelievable. What? he said, his brain still trying to cope with all his thoughts. Those guys! They attacked us. Or were going to. How crazy is that? Right. Yeah, pretty stupid of them. He smirked to himself and said, It's like they mistook you for just a girl. She put her hands on her hips, staring off in indignation. Well, I guess I'm just glad that worked, and things didn't have to get messier. Holokai looked at her with a tilted head and his eyebrows narrowed. First of all, she explained, I've never used a sword before. No idea what I'm doing. Second, I'm a god. I won't be killing anyone. Third, I'm not really a physical being. I just look it. She then passed one hand straight through her other arm. A trail of blue-green smoke puffed around the arm as it reformed to look solid. Whoa, Holokai said. Wait, if you're not really physical, how are you running? Ekiwaka looked at him with narrowed eyes. All right, fine, she said. Way to make a girl feel lame. So I wasn't really running. But I think I could really get the feeling of what it would be like. Is it as fun as I think? Holokai didn't know what to say to that. Some people like it. She beamed, and Holokai felt relieved. Then she nodded for him to follow her as she turned to head back the way they came. He didn't argue. Time to get to the bottom of this, Holokai. Just now, did I save your wish or did I save your life? He was surprised by her sudden seriousness in the question. It almost felt like he was getting scolded, but in the kindest way possible. I guess both? Both. And is a life made from just one single wish? I guess not. She turned her head and raised her eyebrows, again giving him that kind scolding. Fine, yes, a life is more than one wish. Now, think of your parents. They protected your life. That's the prize, Holokai. That's what they loved. He nodded, their steps moving slowly together down the street. The destination did not really matter right now. Okay, final question. Does life end when you've got your wish? Reached some goal, attained some prize? Of course not. Do you get it? He paused, thought, then said, I think so. Then, make your wish. He stopped there in the middle of the street, the dim moonlight and the glow of her hair showing her serious expression. It all made sense what she said. He felt some relief, thinking that he could still make his parents proud regardless of what he wished for. They did save his life, and he could make them proud by how he lived it. Also, whatever he wished for, there was still a lot of life to live, full of other wishes. That was all great, but to make his wish right now, on the spot? But then, it came to him. It was 
Tia's face that swam before his mind. Her wheelchair, her garden dream, and all the other jobs he'd worked on over the last couple of years. I think I know. Ekiwaka smiled at him and held out her arms, welcoming the coming wish. I... I don't know how exactly to word it. I'll understand. Just say it however it comes to mind. He thought for just a second, then said, I don't want to just fix things for people, but I want to be able to make things or create things for them to make those broken things even better. I want to be able to create anything, like a new wheelchair for Tia or a way to help her tend her garden without any help. He finished, his heart racing, and he looked at Ekiwaka. Her smile and wink put his whole body at ease. Follow me, she said, and she turned down a different street than the way they came. He had no idea where she was taking him. Surprisingly, he felt like it almost didn't matter anymore. He felt as if, even if she told him that no wish was possible, it would all be all right. She led him along, turning down another street, and eventually paused in front of a two-story house. Ekiwaka waved her arms as if displaying a prize on a game show. The bottom floor of the house looked more like a garage or a warehouse with large windows all around it. The top floor resembled a traditional home with various peaks on the roof and a porch that came to the edge of the second floor. I don't get it, Holokai said. This is part one, Ekiwaka said. To create anything, you need the tools to do so. The bottom floor is a workshop like you've never seen before. It has everything, with a little space for growth as you or others create new machines to do even more amazing things. Holokai took a few unconscious steps forward, drawn to the space, in utter awe of what she had described. And now... Holokai turned to see Ekiwaka growing again to an immense height. Her voice grew deep and powerful again. Part two. A giant hand came down towards Holokai and he froze to the spot with fear. The hand did not stop and he screamed and closed his eyes as it was right upon him, about to crush him. Nothing happened, though, and he opened his eyes slowly to see Ekiwaka back to her normal size in front of him, doubled over laughing. I told you, she said, I'm not physical. Can't hurt you. She struggled to get the words out through her laughter. Holokai shook his head and soon joined in, laughing with her. When she calmed down and returned to her feet, she smiled at him expectantly. He didn't know what to say or what she was after. He shrugged. She walked off into the workshop part of the building and he followed. When he entered, the lights turned on to reveal machines and tools everywhere. Some he'd seen and used before, but most he didn't even know. Wait, he said. I, I know what everything is. He rushed over to a large, boxy-looking machine with glass doors in the front. A CNC machine. And I know how to use it. That's right, she said, standing in the middle of the space. 
Part 2. A decade's worth of knowledge and experience in science, engineering, and the use of all the different types of tools you could possibly use. Now, inside your brain. His mind was spinning. He thought of a new wheelchair for Tia and all the different features it could have to help her navigate her garden with more ease. Facts about the different strengths of materials came to the front of his mind quickly. Complex mechanisms of gears came together like he was seeing them before him. Amazing, Amazing. he thought. Thank you, she said, bowing to an unseen audience. Then she held her hands up to silence an invisible crowd. Holokai laughed. Then he looked at Ekiwaka and felt pure gratitude. Would he ever have made a wish without her help? Would he ever have even dropped his coin in the well? Hey, he said, and she stopped pretending to be in front of an audience. Now that I think about it, it all seems pretty... Did you plan all of this to happen? I mean... You pretty much told those guys they could just kill me to get things back to normal. You're a god. You're not stupid. You had to know where that would lead. Ekiwaka stared at him, not giving away anything. Then, Holokai screamed and protected his face as he heard the squawk of a bird and a rush of wind as it came to attack. But nothing hit him, and when he looked around, no bird was flying in the workshop. It was you, he said. That's why I dropped the coin in the well. She shrugged. Well, what was I supposed to do? You kept holding that coin over the well. It was getting a little boring. How am I supposed to resist such an opportunity for a little fun? He smiled. He knew it was more than just a little fun to her, but he wasn't going to spoil the moment. He just said, thank you, putting as much heart into it as he could. You're welcome. Now, good luck with your new wish. I hope I'll see you by the well sometime. She turned away, her form beginning to dissipate to smoke. Wait, what? Ekiwaka turned back, snapping back to her solid-looking form, and shrugged. My job is done, Holokai. I, I go back to the well now. Can't you stay? Around? It's not what I'm supposed to do. I... I do love granting wishes, but like you said, you can have more than one wish yourself, right? She smirked. You really do understand. Well, maybe I will come hang around the town a bit more often then. It is a lot of fun talking to people. You all talk about each other so much. Very interesting. And the running may only be fun for me, but it seems to make people laugh. Holokai smiled. Either way, Ekiwaka continued, I do need to be getting back. People need to know I will grant their wishes again. I'll see you around soon. Enjoy your new space and your new head. Then, before he could say anything, she vanished in a puff of blue-green smoke. Holokai stood alone in the large space. Will grant wishes, he thought. She said, I will grant wishes again, not I can Grant wishes again. He laughed. Even that was surely a lie, not being able to grant other wishes until he made his wish. For a god, he noted, she sure does lie a lot. As he moved across the room towards a large drafting table, 
He swore he could feel her laughing. He sat down at the table with a large sheet of blank paper in front of him. He picked up a pencil, already sharpened and ready, and closed his eyes. Tia's face swam before him, then her garden and all the tasks she needed to do to get around and grow her vegetables and fruits. Ideas sprang to him, one after the other. Mentally, he tore those images apart and mixed them together over and over, searching for the perfect combinations. After several minutes, he opened his eyes, smiling at the ideas that had come together in his mind. He leaned forward, paused for the briefest moment, and then put his pencil to the paper, drawing the first lines of his first creation. I hope you enjoyed this story. I hope it made you feel for Holokai, laugh with Ekiwaka, and even make you think of what your own wish might be, given a coin of your own. Well, what would you wish for? Let's really do this. You can't wish for more money, but nearly anything else. Have an idea? If not, pause this and take another minute. All right, now that you have your wish in your head, before you throw your coin into the metaphorical well, let's take a closer look at Holokai's journey. By the end of this, you might just end up changing your wish. In the story, there were many things that Holokai discovered in order to feel confident and excited to make his wish. For me, though, there's one idea, one discovery that overshadows the rest. I'll let Ekiwaka take over for a second. Here's what she said. And is a life made from just one single wish? No. No, it's not. Life is made of more than one wish. It's obvious, but what is that one question we tend to ask kids and students all the time? What do you want to do when you grow up? Perhaps we could find different interpretations of this question. However, we know that when this question is asked, we are looking for a simple career answer. The real question is, what career do you want to pursue when you grow up? I think we place a heavy weight upon this question, and when we meet someone new, small talk eventually falls upon the question, what do you do? And we're not looking for an answer like, Oh, I do a really good stretch twice a day. That's one thing I do. No, it's all about that career, about our work. That is undoubtedly important, but life is made of more than this one area. What you want to do when you grow up is a near-impossible question for many to answer, and it certainly was for me. I'm not doing anything I said I would do when I grew up. Zero. I am not an astronaut. I have not cured cancer, yet I am doing what I want to be doing. But is that all that matters? Having a good answer to the question of, what do you do? My proposition is that maybe we ask ourselves and ask others different questions to call attention to the rest of life, like, what brings you happiness in your day? Is that too deep of a question for small talk? Probably, but maybe we should stop talking small. 
What about how do you want to live your life? What do you want a day to look like for you? Or how important will health and fitness be in your future? Let's paint a bigger picture, not just a career picture. Even though Holokai's wish was about his career, his life wasn't changed all that much. He had already created a life he enjoyed, if we remove the stress he had to make a perfect wish. He already enjoyed fixing things or the work of it and his lifestyle around it. Adding to his knowledge and skills, his wish, just propelled him forward but kept his life more or less the same. He had his aunt and uncle, his friends, and even his clients seemed special to him. His days would be spent creating and fixing in a similar way he'd repaired things before. The point, again, is that he'd already made a life he enjoyed beyond just his career. If we remember that life is made of more than one wish, we can remove the pressure of needing to find that one single career path that we'll pursue for our entire life's journey. If we do this, we also leave space for a life with multiple career paths and hobbies that may become more than hobbies later on. We leave room for growth and for change. We send the message that change is okay. Also, as we keep in mind the many wishes life leaves for us to make, we remember that life is more than just our career. So, as we pose questions to our kids, our students, and to ourselves, we can phrase our questions differently to explore the many facets of a person and of a life. What does a day in the life of you look like? Or, what do you want it to look like? What brings you joy in your day? How do you maintain such great friendships in your life? How many hours do you work in a day? How many hours do you get to play in a day? We can get creative with our questions and be free with our desires. It's okay to want what you want, to want something different from others, and even to question what you want. It's our life. It's your life. Fill it with your desires. And now, when you think of casting your coin into the well, you know the secret. Throw in as many coins as you want. Imagine your whole life. Wish for everything. Leave no area unimagined. Well, has your wish from the beginning changed at all? Maybe not, but hopefully you're thinking of adding more to it. Have a great month, everyone. See you all soon.